Welcome everyone to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories impacting our Asian Pacific American communities. I'm your host, Joanne Whitlock, and today we have the pleasure of exploring the world of a contemporary multimedia artist whose vibrant creations breathe life into historical narratives and foster compassionate connections within communities. Born in Manila in 1972, he migrated to the United States at 17 and brought with him a rich tapestry of Filipino heritage that now intricately weaves through his remarkable body of work. Known for designing iconic landmarks like the Eastern Gateway to historic Filipino town in Los Angeles and the Gintong Kasaysayan mural, my guest is not only a muralist, but also a visionary who amplifies historically marginalized voices. I'd like to welcome Eliseo Art Silva to Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Hi, Eliseo. Thanks for coming on our show. Hi, and thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to have you. I've been to Filipino Town. I've seen your incredible mural. So super excited to have you. Thanks so much. Yeah. As yeah. a Filipino American who, you know, who spent my home childhood in the Philippines, stories like yours are really near and dear to my heart. So super excited to have you. Um, I do want, before we start talking about your work, of course, that's going to be a lot of what we'll be talking about, but I do want to get to know you a little bit personally. So first of all, can you tell us what was life like growing up in Manila before you immigrating to the U.S.? Growing up in Manila uh, was like, for like a very happy time. Um, uh, we lived in a subdivision and uh, I would say that uh, I was a very shy boy. I actually wanted to be a priest when I was young because uh, I went to Catholic school, but um, the art uh, was everywhere uh, in our uh, neighborhood. And we go to a place uh, called Tropical Palace, which is like a pre-colonial Filipino king's uh, palace and so the golden ages of the Philippines was surrounding me from an early age and so I I felt blessed that I was able to experience that you know looking back because they don't build Filipino palaces anymore right I mean right. Um, but I, I was able to uh, experience that at a young age so I was very um, you know fortunate that in that no, sense no I love that yeah, my some of my best years is obviously growing up in my childhood in the Philippines and going up in Manila. So thank you for sharing that. So you were talking about you know, the golden age and you know, growing up. Can you share some early influences or experiences in Manila that, that kind of started and sparked your interest in art? My, uh, my, uh, my father gave a painting uh, to my mother when they were like dating or it was like a courtship, <laughs> and uh, there was there's a painting that I kind of like was very fascinated with, and I I wanted to know how anybody could do something like that, you know. It was hanging in our house, and and that I think struck my fascination to 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 be an artist, you know. And uh, uh, I was able to uh, start early uh, with the art uh, teacher. And uh, learn how to well. Actually, with, before having my own art teacher, uh, I experimented on uh, on my own and used uh, oil paint, but didn't know what kind of oil to use. So I used cooking oil. So the paint actually <laughs> cracked <laughs> uh, because I did not. Uh, with nobody in our family knows how to uh, use the materials, art materials. So my first painting was the Mona Lisa, 
Um, and then the, the Last Supper was my second painting. So, and I was like nine years old. So yeah, this these paintings like are one of my uh, my uh, earliest you know, artwork. But, and, you know, the people who bought it thought it was, like, really, really old because it was, like, cracked, you know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, because of the uh, not knowing what kind of materials to use for that. That's pretty incredible. I know at nine years old, I was definitely just coloring with crayons. I had no, <laughs> I had no foresight in anything artistic. So it's really incredible to see people, especially young um, young people get so much passion and, you know, with their projects and with their work. So that is really incredible to hear. I I, I could say that I probably was ambitious as a, as a, you know, started as an ambitious artist starting <laughs> to, you know, my first attempt was a, a masterpiece by um, Da Vinci and the other one was, uh, you know, um, a mural in a way of The Last Supper. At 10 years old, I also painted in our children's room. Uh, I combined Batibot and Sesame Street. So I would say that would be the precursor <laughs> to my the Filipino mural where I, I combined, you know, America and the Philippines in one mural. But this, this is me at 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to get at next is, you know, how was there a specific time where you felt your art just kind of connected the Filipino communities and fostered compassionate interaction within the community? Well, that happened um, definitely in my first mural and uh, it changed my trajectory because uh, I did not plan to be uh, in the United States and I was going back uh, after my uh, bachelor's in Otis, my BFA program, because even before then, when our parents uh, wanted to relocate here, I was almost 18 years old and uh, there was nine of us and uh, I was the oldest and uh, she, they wanted the entire family. My parents wanted the entire family to go, but I wanted to stay. Uh, and I said that, uh, okay, I will co come. Uh, but if I did, if I don't get into art school in the U S I'll come back because I already had scholarships in the Philippines. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when I had a chance to go back, uh, after my Otis uh, program, my undergrad, um, that mural uh, made me realize that it had an impact. You know, people were, busloads of people have been like visiting from San Diego, Bakersfield, just to see the mural after I finished it. <laughs> it was like, like probably in one month, I would like be asked to go there and do a tour for like, like eight, to 10 to 20 groups of people. Um, and, and, and I realized, you know, this kind of work is very, very um, relevant and, and I guess impactful, you know, um, to our community. So it, it made me realize that that's probably what uh, I need to stay a little bit longer, you know, after that mural that I felt God um, had other plans for me. <laughs> so I stayed. So this is kind of like a, wasn't part of my plan you know it just kind of just uh revealed itself that this is something our community needs i guess because a lot of us um feel like uh i mean most people you know know that we are invisible as a community and uh i think it, you know we have a lot of opportunities to tell our 
story through visual art, but it has to be done right. And I think, it, and, and the way to do it is not to hold back. That's really powerful. So that's that's what I learned from that first mural. No, and I love how you said that. You know, um, you weren't expecting to. You weren't planning on staying long. You weren't planning on this. wasn't the path that you necessarily intended, but. That's a perfect example of sometimes the best things happen because they were unplanned and things always happen for a reason. So I think your story is a perfect example of that. And that's really inspiring. So that's really inspiring for future artists to kind of see that not everything is laid out already perfectly. So I love that. You know, Thank you. You're talking about <laughs> how that one mural really, really inspired you. So but of all the murals and projects that you've worked on, then is there a one particularly outside of that one that has a special place in your heart? Or is that, is that the, what would you call it, your, what is it, your big masterpiece? Well, you know, uh, remember I did that like uh, when I was 22 years old and I'm like twice as old uh, from, from back then. It's kind of like your face, my first baby. Right. Um, <laughs> but when I did that, uh, again, uh, the other thing that drove it was that I wanted to be my last performance. You know, that's why I gave everything to that mural. And and uh, to give you a perspective, that mural was not supposed to be the entire wall. It's just supposed to be uh, like a fourth of the wall because they were just going to give us $5,000 for like, you know, like such a big project. And they did not require us to paint the entire wall, but I, uh, even the budget wasn't enough for it, right? So, and I felt like, no, we deserve, we might might as well like paint the entire wall because we have this opportunity to tell our story, right? And so I I, I did that um, because I felt we deserve it, right? And so the other project that's similar, that has the same kind of, uh, uh, I guess, value to me is the gateway. When 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 we had this gateway uh, dream, it really was a dream, right? How can we afford a million dollars in our community? Um, all the comp- there were like so many competitions, uh, but I did not I did not uh, uh, I did not compete. I was in the East Coast. I didn't know about the the, the competitions. Uh, the Hi-Fi NC uh, Neighborhood Council had a competition but they weren't able to find a design they liked. So they had a they had another competition and they asked me to submit a design. And you know the budget was only for a hundred seventy five thousand dollars. And so oh, we yeah. cannot afford an entire arch, right? But I said, right. what the heck? You know, we deserve an entire arch. It's like the mural, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, I'll just like leap of faith, I just did that. I just designed I I I submitted five uh proposals. And one of them is a full arch. And coincidentally, uh, before uh, the pandemic, we had the Filipina uh, Commissioner of Public Works that had a two-year window to come up. Uh, I mean, he saw opportunity. She saw an opportunity for us to have a gateway. And uh, at, uh, only up to the last minute did she realize we could have a full arch. <laughs> she found <laughs> enough money, and and because. Yeah. Nobody submitted a, a design. It's like a leap of faith. It's like the first mural, right? Uh, I, I did not have to do an entire wall, but I did that, you know, for that small budget. And then for the same, uh, I, I, I don't think about these things. It's just kind of like something that I, 
I felt we we deserve, right? And so right. with the gateway, I was the only one that had a full arch design, and she she thought that this is enough because there would we would not have had that arch had she, there been no design because there's not enough time for a competition. So now that we kind of um, now that we kind of talked about your background and your history that got you to this point, I'm a little curious on how you actually create your art. You know how usually artists have a process; they have the step by step kind of way that they do things. So can you kind of walk us through your typical design process when you create a mural? You know, especially the ones that highlight historical narratives. Like, what is your thought process? How how do you go about it? Well, for me, uh, my my uh, my main um, driving um, what do you call it operating narrative is the golden ages of the Philippines. So when I do a Filipino mural, I I I I find a way I I find a way to bring that out, you know, in terms of the narrative because I think that's something that we don't tell enough, you know, uh, uh, to people. Um, and and so that's that's my my uh the main kind of thing i want to to bring out uh but for other murals it's always the message like what the visually does does the mural want to say and uh it has to come out of the community so it's sent it's community centric right i mean if i'm doing a mural for students in a school it has to be student centered you know it cannot be something where it's like imposed on them. It has to come out of them to the point that they become the main event of the of the mural. Like they become the models of the mural, and they come up with the stories and they tell the stories, so that it becomes uh, relevant and meaningful to them. In the same way, I do that with our community, and I think that uh, because uh, of our education, where we don't own the knowledge, because most of it is kind of uh, the stories of foreigners in our country meaning it's colonial history, uh, we're not telling our story. We're telling the story of foreigners in our country. So it's not Filipino-centric, right? So it has to right. be centered first, I guess, as an artist, we have to center ourselves and like who we are. And then we uh, center the mural in terms of the subject, the community or or the student or, you know, yeah, I love that there's so much depth to your process that, you know, me, I just start drawing something, you know, whether it's good or not. And there's not a whole lot of thought process behind it. And I love how you can, how you're articulating all the depth and actual background, contextual background to it. So it's pretty incredible. And you talk about the golden age of the Philippines and the community and all that. But is there a who, is there like a particular person or is there anything, like someone that inspires your artistic vision and philosophies at all? Well, you know, there was a time when um, we were very homesick when we first came here to the United States. And, you know, we, we came to Riverside in 1989. It was not fully developed. Riverside, I mean, I remember the orange skies, you know. It's like, oh, my gosh, why is that orange? You know, it's like smog and all this, you know. But anyway, it's like uh, there was not a lot of Asians too in, in Riverside. So the first thing I look for is like what are what are the what are the Filipino uh, what do they know about Filipinos? I went to the library, the main library, and I found like only five books on the Philippines, and three of them is about Jose Rizal. <laughs> you know, national hero. And then, and then those books, I've I've never seen them. I've never read them in the Philippines, 
and 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 they gave me a different perspective of Jose Rizal, than not the Rizal we knew in the Philippines, but the Rizal that they were using here in the U.S. to to uh, campaign for the U.S. recognition of Philippine independence because Rizal Day used to be our Independence Day, so Rizal became my hero because. He became relevant by I mean, Philippine Americans made him relevant here in the United States, and and uh, he 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 became our connection to the narrative in America, and 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 a lot of Filipino Americans uh, used him as the guide, their guide in organizing, in writing, in in combating illegal, you know. Uh, 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 the court system they would carry no limit hanger when they go to court you know um yeah i mean he's he's who everybody thinks of usually when you know when they know anything about filipino history is Jose yeah, Rizal, it, makes, so. it makes us feel invincible <laughs> Filipinos. Yeah. so yeah he, he's the one who inspires me right so i love how you stay so connected to your filipino heritage your filipino roots and your connections so what are your aspirations for your art studio and your art school in the Philippines since you know you do have so much you know aspirations for staying connected to your heritage what are your aspirations for your studio in the Philippines well one thing i realized having uh, uh been you know at a, a distance from the Philippines um uh, after all this time in the united states is that we have to flip the script also and tell this our uh, in the Philippines because it's still a colonial history. We're still learning our history through the history of foreigners in our country. And I feel like we need to do the same thing. Uh, first also is to introduce uh, Filipino-American history and, and Filipino-Americans like Larry Itliong. And in fact, that's one of the, 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 the main, the first things I did when I moved back to the Philippines and opened up my studio is to establish Larry Itliong Day so that uh, my goal eventually is for Larry Itliong Day to be a national holiday in the Philippines and that Larry Itliong be a global, uh, the, the hero of the global Filipino. So he'll be a representation of us and what he did because he, 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 um, he made history in America. He, changed, he, he addressed the needs of the basic Filipino in America, which is their rights, their basic rights. Because most of the Filipinos uh, before 1965, which is what his, his generation was, domestics and work farm workers, and and they're the only ones who don't have a union, and he was the one who made that happen. So you know, and and you know, happened to be a Filipino, right? But his impact is not just Filipino; it's all Americans benefited from it. So that that's our legacy here, and we have to like own that in the Philippines and, and and make that part of our history, right? So so do you so do you kind of see your artwork as as a role in promoting Filipino American history and culture in the Philippines? Is that kind of your goal with it? That's one aspect of it, but eventually I want us to uh, achieve critical thinking because uh, the way the way I see it is that. During the Spanish era, we produced Jose Rizal and the greatest generation of Filipinos because the education we got from Spain was the same uh, education they give to Spaniards. So it's like mm -hmm. being uh, seated next to Europeans in a, in a inside the classroom. We're learning the same material, and and those kind of uh, education encourages bold ideas and critical thinking. 
Unfortunately, during the American ta- period, uh, they used the same tactic with the Native Americans, which is uh, uh, indoctrination and uh, uh, boarding schools, assimilation schools. And that their intent was to make the white American to be the protagonist and the main event of their, of their history. So it, it's, it's aimed to rid America of Native Americans. And that's what happened with us. So we're not seated next to Americans or uh, 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 you know, like Europeans or any, uh, anybody in the world equally. We're seated with Native Americans in our classroom with, with the intent of making us Americanized. So we're not right. Filipinized or Americanized, right? So basically, we're not, we're kind of uh, not encouraged to think critically and own the knowledge that we're given. Because I believe we should question everything we learn in school because, yeah, you know, absolutely. everything's, a, you know, you have to know the knowledge so that you could be the source of knowledge. And, and until that That's a really happens, good perspective. Yeah, until that happens, that's why we need artists. I think that's, that's why art is 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 the path to healing and and the path for us to become uh, uh, human beings at least you know to to humanize us uh, from being yeah. largely servile uh, and and yeah so I think that yeah, what, and that's why you're that's why what you're doing and what your your work is has such far reaching impact and such far reaching influence so obviously the Filipino American I highly 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 um appreciate what you do for our community you know so we're almost out of time but i do what you know what you're kind of going about with spain and europe i kind of have a quick fun question to ask you know all the different locations so to kind of round it off you know if you could teleport your art studio to anywhere in the world for a day not just necessarily the philippines now where would you choose to set up um i want to be transported to the to the grand uh, dining room of Lapu Lapu before they <laughs> when they had a meal before they went to battle against Magellan <laughs> and 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 find uh, out what does that space look like you know what does a Filipino uh, space for food look like because I think that's one of the reasons why we're invisible in America it's not colonialism it's Americanization uh, because like what I said again. Um, during a um, Spanish period, we were encouraged to think critically. But during the American period, we were Americanized to the point that our uh, doll in the small world ride in Disneyland is a Polynesian, is in Polynesia, not in Asia. So our aesthetic in terms of Filipino food has been mis, uh, misrepresented with the uh, the uh, tiki tiki. Uh, yeah. Tiki hot, tiki, tiki hot, bar tiki aesthetic, hot, yep, absolutely. The spoon and fork, the man in a barrel, all that came from the Polynesian. Uh, so it doesn't tell our story. It doesn't the food has nothing to do with the aesthetics in a Filipino restaurant? So, so I think know, that's a good choice then for you. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah. choice then to go back to Lapu Lapu's time to really see authentic Filipino. And I, I would love to see the art that you would create if you were able to go back in time <laughs> and do that. So yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. I know we can keep talking and talking about Filipino history and your artwork, and I hope to talk to you about more about that. So before you go, though, I'm sure our own listeners would like to learn more. So do you have a website or a social media handle that we can share with our listeners so that they can learn more? Yes, um, you could visit my 
Instagram, it's LEC72. Um, uh, and um, and Silva.com is my website. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks. So once again, I want to thank you, Eliseo, for joining me on today's show. And we would also love to hear from all our valued listeners about any suggestions for future guests or topics. Don't forget to subscribe to our program on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter X, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers the Asian Pacific American communities with a voice through media arts. If you'd like to support our program, please visit AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Joanne Whitlock. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Pacific Voices Radio show. Thanks, everyone.